Sometimes the words for a sermon are hard to come by, much less the words for an authentic and heartfelt prayer. I recall certain times in my own ministry where a sermon was prepared for Sunday and an event of some kind necessitated a last minute rework of the entire message. Matthew was joking with us who are in the service this morning that one of his uh, maybe recurring nightmare kind of dreams is having to give a sermon off the cuff on Sunday morning. <laughs> and that has been the reality for many ministers through the years. The Sunday after the Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville, Virginia was one such occasion for me. Our church was only 50 minutes from the University of Virginia campus where that had taken place. And several of our college age students were students at the University of Virginia. Another such occasion was the Sunday after George Floyd's murder and a week of nationwide protests. More seasoned pastors may have similar memories of shifting a sermon last minute following the assassination of JFK or following a natural disaster like a hurricane or a tornado or at the beginning or the end of a war or 9-11. Sometimes words for a sermon are hard to come by because you're not sure what you believe on a subject. I had a wise seminary professor named Mark Biddle, who I believe Calvin may know, who once was asked in class, uh, somebody said, Dr. Biddle, what do you believe about such and such? I don't even remember what the subject was. And Biddle just kind of looked off into space for a minute and he said, I don't know because I haven't written on it yet. And I thought that's interesting. Sometimes a sermon is hard to come by because you're not sure what you believe. You haven't studied it well enough to give an answer or to come up with an idea on where you stand. Sometimes a sermon is hard to come by because you're not sure what you believe anymore or because you are definitely sure that a chasm has grown between you and what you now believe and the congregation that is in your care. At least that's been my experience. And often in the face of human suffering, there's nothing helpful to say, not only in a sermon or a message or at a bedside, but even in our own prayers. And we can sometimes feel overwhelmed. We may not know what to do or how to help in the face of great tragedy. And we may rightly ask the question, where is God in all of this? Like Chad, those specializing in grief and trauma-informed care will tell us that in the face of trauma, sometimes the best thing to say is, in fact, to say nothing at all. No matter what is said, no words are preferable to damaging ones. I remember the first time I saw abject poverty in a border town when I traveled with my youth group to Matamoros, Texas, uh, or Matamoros, Mexico, rather, on the other side of Brownsville. And it was the first time in my life that I had seen a home without running water or dirt floors in a house or a family of five packed into a space that was no larger than my own suburban bedroom. 
And it was jarring to me as a sixth grade student. And I did not know what I could do to help. And as an adult, I'm still not sure. And my eyes were open on that trip, though, to realities in this world that at the time I had no idea existed. And the fact is, you you don't have to travel around the world or out of the country to encounter poverty because poverty is persistent and it exists in cities and suburbs and rural communities. And sometimes when I see the suffering in the world, there just are no words that are adequate and it can feel overwhelming. I have a kind of a practice sometimes when I don't have the words to pray, I just sit and reflect or um, I have found certain resources. So this is one resource that I found um, and you can probably find it on Amazon. It's been in print for a long time. And it's literally uh, it's the Oxford Book of Prayer. And it's a collection of prayers uh, from around the world, not just from the Christian tradition, but uh, from many, many different traditions. And so it has been a real godsend to me to sometimes pray the words of someone else when I don't have words myself. Uh, you probably have seen this office before if you've tuned into our uh, services, but you uh, probably haven't seen, uh, that's a microphone that I'm speaking from, but there's a bookcase over here and there's a chair and there's a little bookcase right behind. And on these bookshelves, I often have a place where I can sit and reflect. And I have a candle that I light to remind me of God's presence. I've got some things that invite me to reflect like this uh, little wooden figurine of a woman praying. I love uh, this invites me to reflect and pray when I don't have the words. This is, looks really strange to you. Perhaps it's a fisherman uh, or a person fishing made of nuts and bolts and spot welded together. And the reason this is special to me is because it belonged to my papa, my mom's dad, and he had it at his cabin on a lake in East Texas. And every time I went as a kid, I remember looking at it and thinking, how funny is this guy? And my granddad was a machinist. And so this was something that reflects who he was. And it often reminds me of him and of his presence with the Lord in eternity. And sometimes when I don't have the words to pray, I can just sit surrounded by a few things that are meaningful to me and feel a connection to the divine. I got these oil paintings in Ecuador one time, and they connect me to music. But I would encourage you, if you don't have the words to pray, you can set up a space in your own home, wherever you live, or however small that space might be. And it may be in your bedroom. It may be a corner in a living area where there are some objects that help you feel more connected to the divine. Gandhi once said, it is better in prayer to have a heart without words than words without a heart. And as I get older and I notice so much suffering in the world, I have come to value listening to the stories of many people who are different from myself, especially those who have known oppression and do not have the privilege of being a white male. 
And as I learned these stories and as I opened my heart to people with different lived experiences, I sometimes find myself subject to experiencing exactly what Gandhi described, a heart without words. Incidentally, most sermons are made of words, but I'm not convinced that the best prayers always are. In the lectionary passages read today that Kiana read from Luke and I read from Sirach, we learn that God does not appreciate or delight in insincere or prideful expressions of worship or prayer. In fact, the simple, guttural, heart kind of utterances from those who may feel far from God and those who are often deemed far from God by religious insiders those words are far more pleasing to the Lord than flowery, self-righteous kinds of words. Later in the passage that I read from the book of Sirach, the author writes, The prayer of the humble pierces the clouds, and it will not rest until it reaches its goal. That's one of the things that I love, that I'm drawn to, about Sam Smith's song, Pray. The sermon series that we're on right now is songs that you have a spiritual connection to. And the story behind this song provides even more context to its meaning. And I hope that if you haven't heard the song before, that you'll uh, listen to it. I believe that Matthew is going to post a link to it in the chat. Sam Smith wrote this song, Pray, at the age of 25 after traveling to Mosul, Iraq with an NGO called War Child that works with children impacted by war in different countries in the world. Smith was horrified and disturbed at the suffering that he saw. And he couldn't believe that his eyes had not been previously opened to the plight of so many and to realities in the world that he knew nothing about. Before his trip, Sam Smith struggled with alcoholism and cocaine addiction, and the trip was a turning point for him to be in recovery and to also give of his fortune and give of his energy and his platform's uh, influence to humanitarian causes and to advocacy. And he began to live his life with a completely renewed purpose. And also, as a gay man who grew up ostracized and othered by the church of his upbringing, he had long since left the church, given up on God. And he wrote the song Pray as a kind of a gut response to the things that he experienced and saw in Mosul. In this refugee camp with children who had missing limbs or whose parents had been killed because of war. I'm young and I'm foolish. I made bad decisions. I block out the news, turn my back on religion. Don't have no degree. I'm somewhat naive. I've made it this far on my own. We have context for those words because of the story behind them. 
And he says at the end of that first verse, there's dread in my heart and fear in my bones, and I just don't know what to say. Maybe I'll pray. In an interview with Billboard magazine, Smith stated regarding this song, I spent five days in Mosul and came back embarrassed that I had known so little about the world and other people's lives. He says, I went back to that great Nina Simone quote that it is important to speak about the times you live in. I hadn't done that. I'd just written a bunch of songs about love. So I wanted to write about how I'm now starting to open my eyes at 25 to what is going on in the rest of the world and that it's not always pretty. Something about this song was both haunting and healing to me the very first time I heard it. And the more I learned about the story behind it, the more I connected to it on a deeply spiritual level to its meaning. The reality is I don't think Sam Smith's song would suffice as a, quote, good prayer for many self-righteous and fundamentalist Christians. But I do think that it would make God smile with delight and with compassion. If we open our eyes to the suffering in the world around us, we may not have the words to express what we see. And nothing we say may even be helpful at all, but we can turn inward and begin to reflect and maybe even turn to God in pleading and working for justice. Everything, by the way, about this song is much of what, in my humble opinion, is missing from the CCM genre. That is contemporary Christian music for those of you who did not grow up in Evangelicalville. Sam Smith in three minutes and 45 seconds expresses doubt, offers sincere lament, moves toward working for justice, develops a recognition that the impact of maintaining empire is often intertwined with the suffering of the world's children. And he questions this narrative that all of this is necessary for Western freedom. If you do that kind of stuff in CCM, Promoters will stop booking you from shows. Stations will stop playing your music. Your label will drop you. And the entire Christian music industry gag will pretend like you didn't even exist. It's a fact. But many of the 89 million people who have watched the official song video on YouTube seem to agree that Sam Smith's song is powerful and that it speaks to them spiritually. You can sift through the thousands of comments underneath the video, and some of them read like this. I am not really a believer, but somehow life has been so effed up this year that this song has become my gateway from losing it all. I found myself trying to pray to be okay with all the horrible events that I encountered so far this year. I guess when there is no hope to hold on to, there is nothing you can do to fix it. Listening to this song is my best solution. Or another person commented, praying hard for justice and peace at the gentle age of 71. At this time in my life, all I do is pray for the peace of the entire world. 
another comment said, this song got me talking to God again, first by dancing to it, then crying through it until I could speak after it. Turned my life around. I think I finally have to admit, I love this human named Sam Smith. He rarely lacks transparency and that takes courage. And that's what heals the rest of us. And you could read thousands and thousands more comments on the song about how it has helped someone on a deeply spiritual level, even if that someone is not someone that believes in God necessarily or religion. I wonder what if our prayers, what if the song in each of our own hearts could bring healing to the world around us? Sometimes words for a sermon or even a prayer are hard to come by, especially in the face of suffering. There is a great leader in the Baptist world in Africa named Henry Mugabe that just in the last 24 hours was killed in an automobile accident. He and his son were both driving in the car Dr. Mugabe taught at the seminary that Audrey and I went to in Richmond, Virginia, half the year. And the other half of the year, he was the president of the Zimbabwe Baptist Seminary. And there are people around the world that are mourning his death and the death of his son today, who both just tragically died yesterday. And when I read this news and learned of it last night, I had no words. And I communicated his death and the death of his son to Audrey. And she said, I, I have no words. What I can't even imagine what I would do if you and one of our sons died at the same time in a car accident. And so Sam Smith's words once again ring true for me. I just don't know what to say. So maybe I'll pray. Amen.